Welcome to the Land Jam Podcast, a semi-friendly discussion between two blokes on watches, cars, and everything in between. Now, here are your hosts, Tommy and Sanjeev. Welcome to the Land Jam Podcast, episode 17, is Rolex slipping. Ooh. All right, Sanjeev, so I think I I should first uh, start with an apology for our listeners um, that's a very clickbaity uh, title. I do realize that. Um, so I should start off by saying all respects to Rolex. You know, you just enjoy bashing. Rolex I do. Person. I do enjoy bashing Rolex, but we got to acknowledge. You know, they're they're one of the top brands of anything in the world. Uh, they're they're a fine watchmaker. You know, their watches are some of the cutting edge, most advanced, and you know whatnot. But you know, my question really relates to is Rolex slipping in that its reputation as a tool watch, right? Because that's where it really cut its teeth, right? As dive watches, as, as, as watches for Pan Am pilots, you know, astronauts wore them. And, uh, you know, there was a recent development this month that kind of changed all that, right? And yeah. I'm, I'm obviously talking about the depth record going from Rolex to Omega and uh, the Omega Seamaster Planet Ocean Ultra Deep. Um, and you know, this is a fascinating little record that, that, uh, really is, goes to the heart of dive watches and like, you know, corporate capability between Omega and Rolex. And, um, this was a record that Omega, I mean, Rolex had since 1960, if you can believe that. That's Um, incredible to be honest. Incredible. That was the death record in 1960 is a U.S. submersible called Trieste. And, uh, along with that, you know, a Rolex, uh, uh, Deep Sea Special was uh, strapped on the arm of that submersible in 1960 when it did its historic dive. And Rolex actually tried to keep that record going. So in 2012, when James Cameron was trying to break that record, um, they actually gave him the Rolex Deep Sea uh, Challenge um, for that as well. And of course, that record got aborted. So the 1960 record um, stood until uh, this summer when Victor Vescovo, um, he's an accomplished mountaineer. He's a jet pilot, ex-jet pilot. He retired from the Navy. He has his own investment firm uh, based out of uh, somewhere in Texas. Um, he actually set himself a challenge, and, and he's self-funded to uh, plan to dive the deepest points of all of the five oceans. He must have been doing well to fund such expeditions. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm assuming being self-funded for an expedition like that, he's, he's doing pretty well. Um, and the, the story goes that he went to Omega to get himself a planet ocean to wear, you know, inside the submersible. And he told the Omega guy that, Hey, you know, this is what I'm planning to do. And that guy got an idea and he reached corporate and then corporate reached out to him and said, look, you know, what if we develop something special that can be strapped onto the submersible when you break this record, you know, would you give us the chance? And, uh, you know, things worked out that within six months they delivered this, this prototype watch and he strapped it onto the um the arm of the submersible when he went under that's the seamaster planet ocean ultra deep um it was designed to go thirty-six thousand feet uh, underwater and survive eight tons of pressure per square inch which is insane. that's incredible eight tons of pressure per square inch insane yeah thirty-six thousand feet yeah depth you know like we fly up in the air when we are traveling at thirty-six thousand feet this is 36,000 feet you know, under below. Yeah. Insane. 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 So moving on to the watch, the Seamaster Planet Ocean Ultra Deep 
It's made out of grade five titanium, which is actually the same as the hull of the sub that he that he dived under. And it's bloody huge. All right. So it's 55 millimeters across, 28 millimeters thick. So I mean, it has to be. I mean, to we have to understand it's literally a hockey puck. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not a practical watch for someone to actually wear at the, at that stage, right? But still, it's a very it's an amazing technical achievement to to do that. Um, interestingly, compared to the regular Planet Oceans, the helium escape valve was removed um, just to get rid of another hole in the case. You know, they didn't want another point of failure. Right. Um, no spring bars, obviously. Uh, they were worried about the the um, the pressure and what would happen down there. Um, so instead of that, they had fixed bars and they had these manta ray bars with a little gap in the middle. So they look like the ears of a manta ray. So there's a little bit of flex um, as you dive. The metal actually flexes a little bit, which is insane when you think about it. Um, and the interesting thing is, I think the most innovative thing is the sapphire crystal that's, that's put onto the watch. It's actually done by uh, uh, through a special technique where liquid metal, which is like a which is a compound that's developed by Caltech. It's uh, heated to about 540 degrees Fahrenheit and poured into a channel around the edge of, of the hole in the case where the crystal goes. And then the crystal is pressed into that, into that liquid, uh, liquid metal, that's what they call it, uh, with five tons of pressure. And it's a, really okay. cool, it's a really cool technique. It just fuses and it, it just fuses shut. Um, I'm, I, as far as I know, no other watch in the world does that. I think this is a patented technique that um, Omega developed. Basically, the most, most you know foolproof way to secure a crystal and something that needs to survive that kind of pressure. Um, as far as movement, it's got the eighty nine twelve coaxial movement, no date, uh, and Omega actually built three. And in the death record, it achieved ten thousand nine hundred and twenty eight meters. Uh, That's incredible. That's insane. And the amazing I, thing was, and it, Jason Heaton's story was amazing. It covered, you know, this watch from beginning to end. And the amazing thing was, one of the watches on the submersible actually fell off and ended up in the end of the in the bottom of the ocean. And it sat there for two days. And Vescovo went back and retrieved it. So not only did it achieve the record, it actually stayed in the bottom of the ocean for forty eight hours. <laughs> nice. And then was taken back, which is insane. And it's still kept time. Yeah, and it's still kept time. All, all three are functioning. Um, Jason Heaton went to the event, I guess, in New York, uh, where Omega, you know, basically announced that the record was broken, and they they had the the Ultra Deep in in person to look at, and uh, Moscovo was there as well. So it's an amazing story, um, and I guess you know this ties into the theme of the episode is Rolex slipping because. You know, these kind of technical achievements, these tool watch bona fides that Omega got through this endeavor, through reaching out to Vescovo and building something special for this, you know, record event. You know, this was something Rolex used to do back in the day, you know, and and I and I and I'm going to say this, you know, here, Omega got got the death record. And if you, and yeah. And they did it in record time, too. I mean, this is six months. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is something I mean, it is a hockey puck. I mean, that's for sure. But. It's not like if if you look at the Rolex, um, the, the the one that was in the '60s, that was something you could never wear. You know, it, right. it was something that looked like it was three tons. Well, I I heavily anticipate that Omega will take this and develop a you know quote civilian derivative, a, a version that people would actually could wear. It may not be as technically 
you know, bulletproof as the planet, the ultra deep, but it, it'll look the same generally. And it'll, it'll be a, maybe a separate line under, you know, planet ocean, which I think would pretty, be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a fantastic achievement. And like, I, I don't know if there's any articles out there. I'm pretty sure there are, but like, um, just the, the rivalry between Rolex and Omega, you know, they, 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 they go tit for tat when it comes to certain things. And this, this is possibly the next uh, battle. Well, the, the interesting thing is here, Omega got the depth record, right? So this was a Rolex record that, you know, stayed from 1960. Okay, fine. But, you know, Omega is not the only one that's, that's nipping at the heels here, right? Because I, in, my, in my opinion, Bremont, the British brand, is, you know, they've done recent things that, and, and endorsements and programs that I think really, this used to be Rolex's game back in the day. And I'll give you an example. Um, the Bremont HMAF, the Majesty's Armed Forces line, you know, three watches for the Navy, Air Force, and Army, um, you know, fixed lines with just for the Ministry of Defense, uh, authorized by the Ministry of Defense for the Armed Forces. This is something Rolex used to do in the Second World War, you know, but it doesn't do anymore. It's, it's purely a luxury brand. They, they, you know, who would think about putting Rolexes on the arms of, you know, soldiers and, you know, pilots and, and Navy people. But yeah, if I was a soldier and I had Rolex given to me today, I would just literally keep sneak that into my pockets and just like sneak it out. Yeah, it, it sounds absurd. But, you know, here's Bremont doing that. And yeah. Bremont is, you know, another example is Bremont's also sponsoring Project, uh, you know, Project Possible by Nirmal Puja. I don't know if you know about this. It's actually, I'm going right now, Sanj. Um, it's actually a British Gurkha soldier. He is trying to set the record by climbing the 14th highest Himalayan peaks within seven months. And Whoa. Yeah, which is an insane feat. And he actually just finished the first seven. And I think he's doing the the second half right now. So this is this is, uh, you should follow him on Instagram. It's n i m s d a i. I think at uh, Nims Dai, uh, but his name is Nirmal, Nirmal Puja. He's an extraordinary guy, and uh, yeah, Bremont is fully sponsoring him. And uh, on his wrist is the Bremont Supermarine S three hundred, which is an excellent watch. And uh, but again, here's something else that you know Rolex would have done in yesteryear. And yeah, I think they're relying on a, a new level of um, of clientele. Like, you know, I mean, back in the day, Rolex, relatively speaking, even you can consider today is still a relative, like a new, it doesn't have that much of a history in terms when it, when it comes to, you know, in terms of how old the brand is. There are a lot older branders than Rolex. I think when did Rolex come out? 19, uh, not 26, uh, 19... 1914 or 12 or something like that. 1912 or something like that. It, the early 1900s, right? Yeah. So where uh, Hans Wild, Hans Wildorf... 1905. Was, yeah, 1905. Hans Wildorf, who was the, um, you know, the, the founder of Rolex, you know, he was smart in the marketing play, you know. Issue out these Rolex and get his name out there. You know, he was battling against, you know, at the time. Well, you know, I, I, well my point is Rolex made its name through making really good tool watches and making sure that his tool watches were in the hands of people doing extraordinary things, whether they were climbing Everest or whether they were Gemini astronauts or whatever. Right. right. But you know, that, that era's passed, you know, Bremont's doing that stuff. Rolex isn't doing that stuff. Rolex is putting its watches on Roger Federer and Tiger Woods, which, which is great for the, great for the brand. But, you know, in my opinion, you know, I think you lose a bit of bona fides by doing that. You know, it's in, in, 
the fact that you know they didn't they didn't beat Omega to the punch and put you know put their watch in Vescova submersible. You know, Omega did it. Um, you know, I, I think it really signals a change in focus and kind of shows that hey, this brand is not what it used to be back in the day. I'm not saying it's a bad watch. I, you know, I'm certainly not saying they couldn't technically do it. I just think that you know, as far as two watch bona fides and like you know being in that showing that kind of image, I, I think those days are past. You know, yeah. Who knows? Maybe Rolex will come back to their roots and maybe do these break the record again. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, it's fascinating. Like, you know, they, they used to run ads on um, uh, I'm, I'll post the ad in the Instagram, but it's basically uh, guys fighting uh, oil well fires in the Middle East. And one of them's got a Rolex date just on his on his on his wrist while he does it. Now, Keeping could, time while taming the fires. Yeah. And like, could you imagine one, that campaign being done today, or two, if anybody right there, you know, <laughs> actually fighting an oil fire wearing a Rolex, you know, I can't imagine it. it it's just not that kind of watch anymore, you know. But, yeah. you know, I could see a Braemont on that guy's wrist or, or you know, even an Omega if you're, you know, even if you stretch yeah. it. But uh, it's fascinating. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's that's really what my question was, you know, is Rolex slipping? Is the image gone? Is Is that... So you're saying the image, that tool image to the listeners out there, that tool image, the no-nonsense capabilities of the watch, which Rolex still does have, but they... They've gone more, you know, like I, like you said, they've gone uh, more luxury, luxury. Yeah. more luxury with the with the gold, the platinum, or white gold, or yeah, and, and the and the emphasis is different, you know, and I think you know, I think the emphasis is really, especially in watches, you know, it comes down to image, it comes down to marketing, because frankly, that's kind of what you're selling, you're selling an image, right? So right, and if the image, you know, used to be working class heroes, you know, maybe not anymore, so. Yeah, you know, I think something is gained and something is lost by that. So, I, you know, it's an interesting question. Obviously, if anyone has any comments or thoughts on this, you know, definitely reply, reply to us on Instagram or Twitter. We'd love to. We're going to get some backlash. We're going to get a little bit of backlash, but it's okay. You know, we yeah. got to get, we got to keep. We might be banned. <laughs> we might be banned completely by Rolex. <laughs> it's okay. I, I don't think uh, we were ever getting invited. <laughs> <laughs> and if we do, I'll be. I'll, I'll be cursing you, Tommy. <laughs> my one chance to get into Rolex. You, you can jettison me. You can blame me for everything. All right, this is my episode. So, <laughs> all right, Saint. So, all right, that's enough Rolex Omega talk for for today. What do you got? Uh, enough of the clickbait. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna talk about. So, Omega is the big, you know, monster powerhouse, which is a luxury brand. What I'm gonna talk about is a very very tiny company uh, basically a watch made by an enthusiast yeah um, and he's made a bit of a stunning watch in my opinion so the company's called 813a okay and uh it's by this italian let me make sure i pronounce his name correctly it is he lives in milan his name is paolo fanton paolo fanton I think that's uh, yeah. how you pronounce it. Yeah, yeah I did not want to. I'm not no. sure, but yeah. I, I, I did not want to go there uh, with the accent and everything. But my name is Paolo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. We're probably going to get backlash from Paolo. It's okay. Himself. Just embrace it. Yeah, it's it's a good watch. Yeah, tell me more. So he was inspired by the A13A clock, the cockpit clock found in um, several aircraft back in the day. And it's uh, made by the Waltham Clock Company. Based so, out of Waltham, Massachusetts. Watch yeah. City. Yep. It's uh, the factory shuttered. And it's, 
I wouldn't call it a hellhole, but it used to be for a while, but it's on its way back. But yeah, Massachusetts name. There you go. So he put some word out in some forums, watch forums, and then in 2017, he released the quartz version of his uh, masterpiece, and it was called the 813A Quartz, and it had an ETA quartz motor, and it was, uh, from what I read, it had mixed reviews, but, you know, it got the green light and did well enough to, for Paulo to engineer something that had a mechanical movement. So. Yeah. He, this watch that we're going to talk about here isn't actually out on the market. It's still being finalized, um, and it's about ninety five percent done. But it's so cool looking at the. We just have to t- talk about it, um, and the fact that it's made by an enthusiast, not by again, you know, some fancy large company that wants to make uh, sure, millions, sure, sure, uh, yeah. hint, hint, Rolex. Um, yeah. <laughs> so what he did was he used try to look for a mechanical movement and the way he wanted he wanted to keep the spirit of the quartz style which basically the central second and minute hand it, yeah. this watch does not have any registers um, okay so the original one which is a lamania 5100 which is capable um obviously that is impossible to source because they really don't make those anymore yeah. uh, there was a successor e- by eta but eta does not or ETA does not, um, you know, they, they only source it within the swatch group. Yeah. So he had to come to uh, a solution, which he did. So what he did was he took a Salita SW200 uh, mechanical movement and adapted a, a Debois du Depra chronograph module on top of it. Okay. So using those two, he managed to get the effect, which is the central sweeping second hand and minute hand. Okay. And the, the the thing is that using this way, A, he can get the parts he needs. It's available and it's sourced. The downside is um, this watch is actually a little bit thicker than the quartz. So just to give a comparison, the quartz is about 13 millimeters thick. The uh, the mechanical one is 16.3. Okay. Um, however, the one unique thing is that he, he was so inspired by the clock, he the dial looks like is basically from the clock itself so it's it, it is a pilot's watch so it's very legible to read so it's got a black face um it's got large uh, arabic numerals to indicate the time and there's an outer stepped outer ring in the in the dial where it shows increments of five okay um, to you know when you run the chronograph you can easily time uh, either how many seconds have elapsed or how many minutes yeah. Um, the other unique thing about this watch is the pushers. They're on the left side, so you have like the start stop at the ten o'clock, the crown at the nine o'clock, and the reset at the eight o'clock. Oh, okay, cool. So you know, kind of, I think they're you know you can find. It kind of gives me a strong like IWC Mark Eleven vibe. It to does, it. yeah. I mean, you have to understand this is all you know, pilot swatches. They're all very similar because they're sticking to a specific aesthetic yeah yeah and i'm sure the original waltham stuck that same aesthetic but i I think it's pretty cool because i actually thought that other hand was a gmt hand but it's actually a minutes hand exactly for the chronograph interesting interesting you don't see that very often it looks a little it looks a bit thick though eh, asange when you look at the profile yes and he you know paulo um even admits that he tried to reshape the, the profile basically he shortened the lugs and made it thinner so yeah. that it doesn't 
you know, look as big on the side, but um, I haven't seen one in person. I'm just basing it on the pictures I see, but you know what? I, I give this guy, you know, I, 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 I give him full admiration because this is just an enthusiast. You know, he's an engineer. He works in the oil and gas. He has his own business. He is also a pilot as well. You know, he oh, flies yeah. his own planes. Um, and it's it's interesting that it's um, the pushes are all on the left and not yeah. on the right. Yeah. I mean, there are some watches out there. I think there are a couple of Zins out there that, that do the same. But, uh, yeah. But the finish of the watch is actually really good. I mean, it looks very top notch. I really like the anti-reflective coating on it. it. It gives it a really cool sheen. I and I think it is dual layer anti-reflective coating. Oh, really? Yeah. Ah, okay. Well, I, you know, if I'm going to nitpick, you know, I, I've got a thing about loom colors. And the blue loom, I don't know. What do you think about that? Um, Does I, it bother you? It doesn't what really do bother think? me. I'd rather use maybe a green loom. Me too. Me too. But, That's how I feel. I, I'm not used to blue uh, to, for a blue loom. So it's like, I don't know. But uh that's the only thing I would nitpick. And, and the thickness is a bit thick, but you know what? If you're going to do a chronograph, you know, it's going to get thick. You know, if it's, a, it, there's no way around it. Right. I mean, you have to understand this is not a custom made chronograph or a, a, a movement that is, that has like a, you know, an integrated chronograph. This is basically a mechanical movement with the chronograph module slapped module on, top on top of it. So that's right. what Which makes it thicker. It's going to make it thicker. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I like it. I like it a lot, Sam. This is a uh, this is a very very sexy chronograph. I dig it. I dig it. I actually do. My my favorite bit is the sec- central second sweeping hand and uh, the minute. That that's really. I dig that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Which you don't see very often. I I, I actually at first glance thought it was a GMT hand. So I'm surprised that uh, that's actually a chronograph minutes hand. Yep. Had no idea. All right. So. Um, along the same vein, you know, very too watchy. Um, I'm going to cover the um, OW watch P101 and P104, and the okay. OW OW here is Alec and Wa Wages Alec and Wages. Yeah. Um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say O and W, but O and W was as a basically they they got famous post war. Um, they were a contract watch supplier, so they built a lot of watches for the military, special contracts. Um, so if you look at a lot of vintage Tula military watches from, you know, I want to say 50s and 60s, you'll run into O&W. Um, they were actually a major supplier during the Vietnam War to U.S. forces. So they, yeah, they their name play. sounds extremely familiar. I mean, it, it took I'm me sure I've showed you a watch that I was you, looking at, O&W, for you sure. You showed me uh, probably about 3,000 watches already. Uh, well, uh, search back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's going to take a lot of scrolling. But These two watches are relatively simple. They're, they're, not, they're not chronographs. They're regular time only watches. Um, both of them armed with the ETA twenty eight twenty four. The P one hundred one, as the name suggests, is inspired by the F one hundred one fighter. Nice. Um, so if you look at the bezel, uh, look look at the dial. You know, dated six. You got a twelve hour bezel, second time zone. And then the P one hundred four is inspired by one of my favorite Cold War fighters, the Starfighter F one hundred four, which um, you regularly do Starfighter Saturday or Starfighter Saturday. Sunday. Listen, this is like a quiz for the listeners, okay? If they're following me on the Instagram, they should know that by now. So that's a, we'll, we'll have a quiz uh, next episode. Um, but, the, but the P104, they, they took out the 12-hour bezel and they replaced it with the slide rule. 
um, orange markers, 9, 12, and 13. And they use these, like, it's like a, the hand colors are different from the 101. It's like a little bit more patinaed. Um, and in my opinion, I, I would go for the 104. Um, I think it looks a, a, a little bit more aggressive. Um, but yeah, I think it's a very weird, very different kind of watch. For a time-only watch, you kind of expect it to be a chronograph, but it isn't. Um, but I think it's kind of cool. It's got that really, you know, strong mid-century vibe to it. And the 104 with the with the uh, with the different bezel, or the slide rule, slide rule bezel, really has some strong 1960s feel to it. Uh, what do you think, Sanj? I really dig both of them, to be honest. I, I will both take of them. Both. The 101, too. I'm surprised. Yeah. I, I didn't expect you to like the 101. So okay. are these um, bezels especially... Now, the 101 is the the one with the 12-hour bezel, right? Correct. Yeah, so you is, can track another time zone. Is yeah. that possible to... Is that a directional bezel or is it fixed? Do you have any idea? No, I, I think I think I think it's a directional bezel. You you can you can turn it. You can track another time zone. That it. is excellent. I mean, I would take that. Um, yeah. It's very simple. I, you know, I like the aesthetics of the slide roll, so I would take that. But uh, I would just take both. I mean, if they come in a package, I'll take. I'll take. It's it. it's, it's very attractive, right? And you know, OW has history. It's got a pedigree. It's yeah. been around yeah. since you know, mid century at least. It, it used to be, um, the owner was French, and they he basically ceded the control of the company to I think his distributor. Um, so it kind of got a soft relaunch and they're bringing back a lot of the historic models and at least the feel of it. Um, but can I tell you the 101 and the 104 are really attractive watches? I, I think they did a really good job. Yeah. The one, the 104 reminds me of, I can't remember the Seiko, but there's a Seiko out there that has yeah. a slide rule on the bezel and, um, it's just a simple, uh, mechanical watch with a date window. Again, maybe I don't even think it has a date window, but either way, I mean, this this looks very simple, very effective. You know, I, I don't think I'll ever use the slide rule, but I'd like to pretend I will. So Right, exactly. And you know what? You know, this kind of ties in with our earlier Rolex conversation, right? You don't see you don't see any, you know, fancy metals, you're not seeing any, you know, diamonds, you're not seeing anything shiny, nothing flashy about it. But you've got a really cool, well designed watch that, you know, has some real, you know, two watch kind of bona fides. And I think you know, for a lot of guys, you know, they wanted the flash and pizzazz. I think you and me and a lot of our listeners at least are into the tool watch vibe. And, you know, is Rolex slipping? This was something that, you know, an old Rolex would have that kind of charm, you know. Yeah. And, you know, it's 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 an interesting way to sort of contrast, I think. Yeah. No, I mean, I really dig it. And even the straps that they come in. I mean, the 104 comes in this bond strap and the 101 has this like leather looking vintage strap. Yeah, it looks like yeah. an aged strap kind of thing too, which is nice. I dig it. Yeah, I kind of dig it too. I kind of dig it too. And speaking about uh, mid-century design, Sanj, what's what's our next one? Our next one is going to be the Oris Diver sixty-five chronograph. Oh man, you love the Diver sixty-five. I I love Why? it. So so do you. I do too. I do too. Uh, we're big fans. Let's just say that. And, yeah. Um, so in 2015, Oris brought out the Diver 65 line, and to, I believe it was the fifth. It's been 50 years since they released the you know the original Diver 65. Um, so um, what they did this time recently is they made a chronograph version out of it, and it is a little bit unique. Um, you may or may not like this. Actually, you're not going to like this. Um, oh, boy. Okay. So, I can't wait for this. The yeah. bezel, what do you think it's made out of? Is it bronze? 
Yep. Oh my. Well, hang on. It's only the side of the bezel that actually shows up bronze, right? The yes. top of the bezel. It's is an bronze. aluminum insert. Um, okay. All right. Look, it's if you're going to gonna... you you do dig two tones. You were talking yeah. about the Rolex two tone a few episodes ago. Oh, well, let me finish. The way this is presented, I'm not offended by this. Not I'm not offended, offended by this at all. No, I I think it looks fine because the the part of it that'll that'll go green and oxidize and whatever is is the just the coin edge of the bezel. This this watch is PC for you. It's it's politically correct. I'm I'm happy with it. Yeah, <laughs> and I, and actually on steel, I think it looks pretty cool. I dig it. I mean, I think uh, is the Oris. Is their entire Darva 65 line mainly in steel? Is there a bronze version of it? Um, no, I'm talking about on, on the links. So if you scroll down in the article, you, oh, you yes. see the steel links. So you know, yeah. take it out of the leather and put it in steel. It looks really cool. I dig yeah. it. I yeah. mean, yeah, the bezel, I mean, the outer ring, I mean, it's it's in bronze. Yeah, okay. I mean, I dig that too. I mean, I, I actually do dig bronze watches. This is where you and I differ. Um, yeah, and and... But again, you know, this is not as bronze as they, they've made in the past, and it, I don't find it offensive. And I think there's some bronze in there, so you like it. So I, actually, this is something we have in common. Yes, but I'm still calling you the PC, the there watch PC. <laughs> this thing is watch PC for you. And you know what? You know, even though the, the basic layout is the Aura 65 layout, the, the chronograph really doesn't get in the way. The dual bezels don't get, I mean, the dual it's, dials yeah, it's, don't get in the way. It's very neatly organized. I mean, it doesn't cut into any of the markers. I mean, you do lose the three o'clock and the nine o'clock, but I, I totally dig that. That's perfectly fine. And I think the, the subdial hands actually go really well with the main hands. They don't look out of place at all, right. which I think is really cool. And the unique yeah. thing about the registers of the subdials is that the hands have bloom on them, which is actually kind of rare. That is actually really rare. Yeah. So the, the other unique thing is, if you can tell, um, and obviously we'll post the, pic, the link up, which has the pictures. So this is the one from a blog to watch. And the unique one is the, the crystal. It's a sapphire crystal, but the unique thing is it's, it captures that, uh, the original Diver 65, which is a domed-shaped crystal. You know. Wait, that, that's a sapphire crystal? That's not, that's not acrylic? No, it's sapphire. Whoa. That is so cool. I because it has that dome look. I assumed it was acrylic. So I thought. It was I mean, I accepted too. it. I accepted it for what it is. But uh, that is really cool. I don't know how they did that. I know it's pretty hard to actually technically get that shape in in sapphire. So I don't know how they did that. That is really cool. Not a lot of people can do that. No, that is actually yeah. It is much harder to shape a, a sapphire crystal, but they pulled it off. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so what, what the movement is, uh, I'm looking here, it's a Salida SW510. Yeah. Uh, uh, Oris calls it the 771. Um, I guess they heavily modified the SW510. I mean, I mean, what does heavily modified <laughs> I don't know, to be honest. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, let's just call it call a Salida. We don't, we don't need to, yeah. I mean, everyone, you know, they, they, they take a pen knife and do a little scratch and call it modified. That's not real. <laughs> they, they just <laughs> engrave it. Or yeah. or but there's no ca- there's no case back to this, right? There is no case back as far as I know. Um, okay, right. you're yeah. Th- that is another thing you and I differ. You don't like case back. Well, I, you know, I'm it's not a point of like failure. You. Yeah, I'm I'm not frivolous, but yeah. Another watch PC. It's it doesn't have a clear case back. Uh, well, I mean, the the impressive thing is compared to the Speedmaster, it has double the water resistance, 100 meters. Which, hey, that's impressive for a chronograph. It is. I mean. Yeah, but I mean, no one's going to go 100 meters apart from 
who, who, who? We're just talking technicals here, Sanch. Because <laughs> yeah. even at fifty meters, like I wouldn't jump in the pool with my with my speedmaster. Like it's it's not strictly depth, right? It's you like, wouldn't even have a bubble bath with a speedmaster. No way. I don't. I don't wash my hands with it. <laughs> I go a day without washing my hands. And it shows. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all those wrist shots he posts, I kept my filthy hands. <laughs> So there's one caveat to this beautiful, cool-looking, vintage-looking thing. Um, what do you got? It's the price. It, I do feel it's a little bit on the price. You, you got to get out, get out, get out of your poverty problems, right? Because four thousand dollars for that watch is not unreasonable. What? Why is that unreasonable? Because it's. I what should it be? What should it be, Sanch? Maybe two and a half. You're ripped. <laughs> Why? It's a it's a Swiss-made chronographed eye watch. I, yeah, my Fortis has cost less than this, and it's seen space. Well, not the hubcap, the hubcap. Yeah, and it's got double the water resistance. Does it really? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, it's a fantastic looking watch. I mean, it's. I'm not digging, ripping on the watch. I'm just. You, bit... you know, I. In my opinion, Sanj, as far as the podcast goes, if it's under five grand and it's a reputable name. I think we need to let it go. Just or, let it go, huh? Just let you it know, go. Because I don't think we're going to win. We're not going to win this argument. No, I think, you know, it's only going to get more expensive. Blame it. Yeah. And, you know, Oris deserves it. They, they have great original designs. They've got a great, you know, back catalog. You know, I want them to move up the value, yeah. you know, spectrum. So that's good. You know, that's good for them. I'm, I'm, I'm for it. The other thing I actually do dig about this watch is the combination of like this faux patina that they added on the uh, indices in the market. That's very interesting you mentioned that because that is something that I don't mind, but I know a lot of people do mind. Yeah. I um, actually feel that it goes well with the watch. Um, interesting. But uh, interesting. I guess... Yeah, I, 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 like, I like the look a lot. I think yeah. it looks really cool. Now, yeah, so it's 4000 for the leather strap and 4250 for the stainless steel um, bracelet. Okay. And the other unique thing is the links are riveted. Oh, another vintage uh, callback right there. Exactly. I think they did a, fa- a fantastic job. Um, I dig it. Yeah, we dig it. I dig it a lot. Another watch we like. Yeah. And, uh, okay, so I'm going to go to something. So you were complaining about the price of the last watch. I think this watch, the price is right up your alley. It's uh, Hey, man, about... I got a mortgage to pay. You know, I got to keep things real. It's okay. So this is probably more than your mortgage, but anyway, uh, at $162, (laughs) Timex has released a really cool, uh, throwback watch, strong sixties vibes. They actually had a collaboration with a guy named, uh, Nigel Caborn. He's, uh, he's a British based designer. Uh, and this is sort of like another one of their releases. Like, you know, they did a couple of releases with Todd Snyder, you know, the online uh, men's, I guess, fashion website. Um, sure. And those releases were very, actually very successful. They sold out really quickly and they did really well. Um, and Timex, you know, is doing this with Nigel Cabborn. He's based out of London. Uh, they do streetwear. Um, he's been around for 40 years. And the watch itself is actually really simple. It's a quartz watch. Um, no chronograph movement, nothing like that. It's a simple military-style di- uh, dial, um, arrow at 12, and you've got a, like a red and cream dial. And the interesting thing is, you know, why do I call it a referee watch? The first 45 minutes is in red, 
and uh, the last 15 is open to the cream. And you have, um, you know, every five minutes you have a line in the dial. Um, you know, if you're a referee, you're, you're keeping time, you know, it's, it's a useful thing for marking wise. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, it's very simple. It's only 162 bucks. You know, you're, you're going to pick it up from the Nigel Cabborn website. It's, it's, it's not a big, big pull in any way as far as money is concerned or technicality, but I think stylistically it's kind of cool. You know, it oh, comes uh, yeah, the- no, it's, it's really awesome. Actually, you know, you got to give Timex credit. I mean, they've been coming out with these, you know, these vintage looking timepieces, you know, we, and we've covered some. And this is like the latest one that I guess they released and, uh, you know, way to go. And the cool thing is, you know, I've never seen a 1960s era soccer referee watch. But when I see this watch, I know exactly what they're calling back to. And it's interesting because I've never actually seen the original. Yeah, it's, I've you never know? seen the original. This is like, to me, when I first looked at this watch, it was like something very unique to... Um, Timex, like, you know, Timex came up with something original, but, you know, it's got that vintage feel and it's a hallback to the earlier designs back in the day, but you know what? This this looks or, or not. I don't even know if Timex had a version of that watch. I have no you idea. Know? I have no idea, but um, the cool thing is the watch also comes with a burgundy and, like, light blue strap, which I think is really cool. Yeah, um, no, it's awesome. It's a really cool package for 160 bucks. I, I don't think you can go wrong. Um, very cool. I... Again, Timex, you know, do what you do because they they've got a really good strategy, and you know they're not they're not overcharging, and they're they're really they're really trying to do something kind of different. So yeah. I think it's really cool. Yeah. No, I mean this is there was another watch, and I'm and and to listeners out there, or even you, Tommy, correct me if I'm wrong. Did it uh, was it Tag Heuer that made a watch for boxing to time uh, boxing matches? I don't know, actually. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna look it up right now. This is, this is how the sausage is made, people. Yes. A lot of googling. Googling. It's, it's, it's necessary. But the, the, the unique thing is, you know, if you and I, mean, I were Tag playing Warrior soccer, had a Muhammad, Muhammad Ali. Yes, watch, that was the one I was referring to. But w- w- it has no functionality for boxing. I can't see. I anything. thought there was something. Hang on. But anyways, if, if you if you and I were playing in opposing teams, that fifteen minute cream colored section of the watch, which is from nine o'clock to twelve o'clock, will be yeah. all the extra injury time that you and I will need. Extra what time? Injury time. Yeah, injury time. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'll be on the floor wriggling. You know? uh, that'll be you at five minutes into the game. I'll, I'll, Sweet I'll the be leg. Like, I'll be like an Italian player. You know? just... Sweet the leg. I'll be Meryl Streep on the field. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah no, so good, good find. I mean, this is this very cool, right? Yeah. And I, I didn't see it blow up, you know, on the internet. I didn't see a lot of press for it, but I, I think, I think it deserves more attention because I think it's a really cool watch. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, well done, Tag Heuer. So, I mean, yeah, not Tag Heuer, Timex. I'm sorry. And sticking with London, there's another watch based uh, in London that we wanted to cover. Uh, I guess it's the last watch for today. This is the last watch for today, and it's something I really don't dig at all. Uh, it's not against a brand or anything like that. It's I'm kind of surprised you don't like it. I do not like this watch. Okay. What is it? It's the Christopher Ward C1 Moonglow. Okay. And I guess the unique thing is it's got this moon phase and it's got, I'm, I'm being frothy here. 
It's got a ETA 2836 movement, and they call it the JJ04 caliber. Um, yep. It's pretty accurate with the moon phase, and one per day per every 128 years. So the swatches are going to outlive both of us combined. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, speak for yourself, but yeah. Well, I mean, are you going to be Robocop? I mean... Like I said, Sam, speak for yourself. But yes, go on. Um, the other cool feature is this. It's, it's got a water resistance of three atmospheres, or let's say about 300 feet or 300 meters. Um, and actually, All right, no. Sanj, before, before you kill the audience with technicalities, I, I, I want to point out one thing. What? So unlike any other moon phase watch, or most moon phase watches, where basically the moon phase pops out of a window, what Christopher Ward did, and this is a polarizing thing on Sanj, I, I feel like you don't like it, but I like it, is that they actually have um, high-resolution photographs of the moon as the actual moon phase. And if you look at the 3 o'clock part of the dial, there's actually a circle window. So it's a translucent window. But that's the actual moon phase. So the moon spins you know, around the dial, okay, uh, in keeping with the moon phase complication. But it's really that window that you're looking at to tell you what phase of the moon it is. And the cool thing is the loom is also extended to the moon. So when you look at the moon at night, the moon itself glows. Like you're looking at like, uh, you know, through a, through a night vision. And there's a lot of loom here. You know, there, there's loom around the whole uh, whole bezel of the watch. So I got to tell you, I, I really, I really like it. Yeah, that's still not going to change my mind. This looks like something I would give to like a 10-year-old kid and the kid will be it's, so excited. It's got a pointer date. It's an ETA movement. It's got a full moon phase. I don't know what your problem with it is. I, this I, is I, the I'm... first time you actually like the watch that has a moon phase. I'm pretty sure many episodes ago you were ripping on these uh, you, complications. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and you, now you've gone 180. And but look, look, look! I think it's pretty cool that it has an actual picture of the moon on it, yeah. and that unlike other moon phases, there's no window, so the thing spins freely on 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 the whole dial, which I think it, is really cool. It is a unique take on a moon phase. That I give you. That's that. That's, right. Yeah. It's something. It it looks very something. I can't you, know, you got to give credit to Christopher Ward here. This is true innovation from from a brand that, you know, is not one of the big guys. You know, it's, this is something that they're trying that's unique and different and unique to just to them. I think I think it's amazing. I love it. You love it. That's I good. love it. It's under two grand too. I mean, that's pretty impressive. That is a, actually very impressive. I got to for a pointer date for a pointer date moon phase complication automatic watch under two grand. Where where else would you go for that? Nowhere. But Christopher Ward. There you go. Um, so, just to let you know, unfortunately, you may not like this watch anymore because it's got a clear case back. But uh, I, I did notice that. But look, it's not a dive watch, so that that's the line I draw. <laughs> I, I'm consistent, <laughs> if anything. I'm fine with it if it's. You're fine watch, with the moon phase, which last year you ripped on. And you're, like I said, if if you if you have a photograph of the moon and it spins freely, I'm on board. All right. Actually, one thing though is is the amount of uh, the clear case back you have at the back. It's actually very big. I mean, normally you don't get this much of a window to see the back uh, mechanical part of the watch. So you know, yeah, awesome. Yeah, and uh, you know, I was actually listening to Scottish Watches podcast, which uh, it's a plug for them. They're they're a great podcast. They're a good pair. They're very entertaining, and they actually had. Uh, one of the founders from Christopher Ward on, and it's it's a great episode. I would highly recommend if you're into 
learning about the brand and like the history and like why why they are why they do what they do uh, i would check that podcast out it was really interesting and you know it sounds like they're very serious about watchmaking and, yeah and they um, are and they're, they're fairly new and and but they, they do make some very nice timepieces i i gotta give christopher Ward credit for that I yeah mean, the trident it, is a great the trident is a great series this this moonglow version moonglow watch is awesome too i i have to say for for a small micro brand they really punch above their weight which is very exactly and that's where i give them appreciation i just don't like this watch like it's just my personal taste there's nothing against the brand or that's okay. You're dead. You're dead to me anyway, Sanchez. Uh, right, but you know, what else is you new? still come crawling back for me to record a podcast? Um, oh, is that how it is? <laughs> <laughs> Son of a god! Actually, to the listeners out there, more like back at slapping the back of my head to get my act together. Get but your act together, exactly. You got a podcast to run, exactly. All right, Sanchez. So, what you buying? What do you got? So, watch your buying. So, this might be a little bit controversial. Well, first of all, let's remind people what watch your buying is because this is the second time we're doing it. So, watch your buying is just a little section in our podcast where we scour the internet for watch deals. Scour, right? And then um, we we basically talk about them, and you know, it's it could be on good watch deals. Yeah, yeah, good watch deals that we we like, and we want to just share it with you all. So the first All one right. I'm going to talk about what do you is, got? is the first one might be slightly controversial, but I, I just like the watch a lot. And Why the is it controversial? It. Okay, go on. It's the, uh, it's the Glycine Airman. Uh, yeah, it's a great watch. It's yeah. Fantastic watch. You know, it's just the whole thing with Glycine being owned by Invicta. But uh, you know what? I don't care. It, it's that's, not... You know, that, that's kind of irrelevant. What, what's changed? It's still the original Airman. It is. It's just that, you know, I don't know. And, you know, I got to give Invicta some benefit of the doubt. It's just that I don't know with a large company like them, what they're going to do to the brand. Are they just going to like, you know, cut, cut costs, you know, cut quality? I don't know. What do you you I mean, I I look, you know, Zodiac and 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 Fossil, you know, that that was a that was a nightmare. Right. And that played out, you know, really really well i mean zodiac is killing it right now exactly so, and i want to i want to give the glycine the same level of appreciation and I'm, d- I'm just saying i agree with you that it's alarming but at the same time this specific model doesn't look like it's changed at all from when it was under regular glycine yeah so, there are various styles that they have introduced but you know any watchmaker would do that not just because it got bought by invicta i mean glycine wants to market their most well-known watch which is the airman you know it's the pioneer of the gmt uh, yes. movement so yes and it was used in the field it was used in the air force uh, yeah no this is actually a really good deal because the retail for this watch is 2700 and you found it on ashford for 549 holy mackerel wow wow which is amazing is, i don't care that is a very good deal what people wow. say about glycine now i would definitely jump on this and there are various styles of the glycine you can find some on ashford even cheaper for 499 you know it's got a little uh, different style to it you know the seconds or our hands are different but who cares it's it's just it's a great deal in general i mean one thing you gotta you gotta mention here sanj is that this this airman does have a 24-hour dial yes so you know people should know that jumping into it you're not looking at a at a you know 12 to 12 timekeeping situation you're looking at a zero to 24 timekeeping situation so and the other cool thing is that it's got a locking bezel 
Yeah, which is really cool. So you can you can track an, another time zone on top of that. Yeah, it's amazing. You can like literally do three time zones, right? Yeah. So that is my watch. Selection. That's very impressive. That's very impressive, Sam. And you I'm... have something that you, well, you are the master of eBay um, watch deals. So what do you got? Yeah, I mean, I I I obviously scour eBay on a daily basis, and. Um, I found a Bell and Ross by Sin, so it's basically the Sin One Four Four GMT space watch. Um, you know the Sin One Four Four that went into space, um, which that think... was actually the Sin One Four Two. Oh, the One Four Two went into space. Okay, um, that was the well-known space watch. But but this this one is basically to us the the Grail watch, the Grail tool watch. Okay, Sanj, you you really you really poked a hole into what I was gonna say. What? <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna talk up the one four four. Are you sure? I think it's the one four four that went to space. One four two. I believe it's the one four two. That was the famous German or the German astronaut wore the Sin one four two because right, so... it has the this one four two had the if I remember correctly it had the only the sub dials at the six o'clock and the nine o'clock. Um, the one for four, it could have been in space. I don't know. I mean, but I believe it was the one for All right. So for the listeners here, I'm going to do some research for the next episode. And literally before we even introduce ourselves, I'm going to call them out once I know the truth. So, and if the truth is the one for two, I, uh, nothing. I'll pretend nothing happened. <laughs> Never happened. <laughs> so for the listeners out there, um, I'll put a link on uh, the auction price right now is at uh, 1340 bucks, which is actually a very good price for this watch. Um, it's a Bell & Ross uh, by Sin. So, you know, people don't know before Bell & Ross was fully independent, they were actually relying on Sin to not just produce the casing, but I also think they assembled the watches for them, which is interesting. So I don't know what Bell & Ross brought to the table, but uh, this is basically a Sin watch, um, but it's a great price for an automatic chronograph GMT uh, with a date. Um, it's got a very, very 70s, you know, look to it. Um, very aggressive. So um, I'll put a link on the notes. You guys can check it out. And yeah, how many days left on this? Uh, one day and 11 hours. Yeah. So if we publish this and if you hear this, you should probably get on eBay ASAP. Before Tommy places a bid. <laughs> Before, yeah. Beat me to it. Yeah. Wouldn't that be stupid of me, Sans? Giving, giving people, uh, you know, giving my competition a heads up. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't put it past me. Yeah, I, I can see you placing a bid <laughs> and then asking your wife for forgiveness. Uh, That's right. I actually Sorry, cl- clicked on it, dear. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I didn't mean to. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll head off to uh, Streaming Gold and Closing Notes then. Sounds good. All right. So for uh, today's Streaming Gold, um, I actually have a podcast and it's a BBC podcast. It's a dramatization on the Iranian revolution. It's called Follow the Shah. And it's a really interesting podcast because you're not listening to historians or talking heads or interviews. You're actually listening to basically a script dramatization where you've got somebody playing Jimmy Carter, you got somebody playing the Shah, you got somebody playing Khomeini or whatever. And they're going episode by episode of the Iranian Revolution for the 40th anniversary. So that happened in 1979. So I'd highly recommend it. I'm on episode two and uh, things are really picking up steam. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's really interesting. I would I would definitely check it out. Cool. Yeah, I'll give it a listen. I'll because it's the BBC. Is this only on the BBC website, or is this available on, like, say, Spotify or? You should be able to get it on Spotify and iTunes. 
Okay. I mean, it'd be ironic if we had a bigger reach than the BBC, but you know, uh, that is highly unlikely. <laughs> it's highly unlikely. Yeah, I get it on iTunes. Uh, definitely worth it. It's it's acted out. It's pretty interesting. Cool. Yeah. All right. So off to closing notes, Sanch. So it's interesting you talked about the fall of the shot because it will in the his novel, his best-selling novel, he he highlights one of his chapters about uh, Shah, the Shah of Iran leaving Iran. Uh, you know, during the revolution and how it had an effect in the auto industry. But the, the closing note for me is Lee Iacocca, who passed away last week on July 2nd yeah. at the age of 94. And he is one of those true auto titans, you know, during the day, you know, he, I don't know if, uh, how much you know about uh Lee Iacocca, Tommy, because I believe right now you are reading his best-selling novel. Yeah, I know. I, I actually got his autobiography. So that's the book that uh, his best-selling autobiography is what really um, you know, took off. I think he released in, in, in the late 80s. Um, but yeah, you know, Lee Iacocca is a legend in the auto industry. You know, he was part of the Ford Pinto program, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, yeah, about that. Uh, let's, let's just hide that one. I'm surprised that out of all the cars that he's, you know, Lee Iacocca released under his supervision, Ford Pinto was the first thing you brought up. The one with the most problems. gas. Exactly. No, but, you know, he was famous for making the Ford Mustang. And obviously, oh, yeah. He, um, you know, led the rescue of Chrysler. He basically, you know, rescued Chrysler from the brink of bankruptcy, went to the U.S. government, got a loan, and he brought out the the, the Plymouth, uh, the, the K-Car, the Chrysler K-Car, which rescued the company. And then that K-Car um, platform was the basis for, you know, basically minivans that are still out, you know, being made today. And both those products saved Chrysler and really, you know, it dominated the 80s as far as, you know, thinking and design of what an American car should look like. And, you know, uh, he's a legend. He's he's amazing. Yeah, I mean, he he's deemed the father of the Mustang. Um, I think the first year the Mustang got released, they sold over 400,000 of them. Yeah. Insane. I mean, that's that's amazing. And in the 80s, you know, he, you know, it's very rare. You don't see Mary Berry on, is it Mary Berry, the GM? Mary Berra. Mary Berra, you know, in commercials for GM. Uh, Mary Berry is actually a baker uh, on Bake Off. Anyway. Um, so you mixed up the CEO of GM for a baker. That's right. Well, Mary <laughs> Berry is a big, bigger deal than Mary Berra. But anyway. Oh, uh, my point is, Lee Iacocca used to actually, you know, star in the Chrysler commercials back in the day. And you know, he, he was known for having a reputation for, you know, speaking straight and being a, an honest guy and someone relatable to American people. Um, you know, people were telling him to run for president. Uh, they were yeah, thinking I mean, his, was... his, his autobiography was part of that process. So it's rare. You, you don't see a lot of executives today that people actually <laughs> wanted to see run for president. Yeah. And, you know, he, you know, he was he graduated of school, you know, out of college as an engineer. And then, like, after he, did, like, drew his first uh, drafting exercise, which he spent the whole day, he re- quickly realized this was not for him and, and went into sales. And, um, you know, he rose to the ranks at Ford. Yeah. And um, he's also going to be portrayed in the upcoming racing movie, Ford versus Ferrari. That's awesome. That's awesome. I can't wait. Yeah. So, you know, he was also involved in that whole... Um, duel between Ferrari and Ford um but he you know 
obviously he became the president of Ford, but Ford felt that he got, there was some fallout between him and Ford and Ford basically fired him and then uh, moved to Chrysler. And um, during the deepest uh, of the crisis at Chrysler, he took a, a huge salary cut and earned a wage of $1 a year. Yeah. Until the company got back on its feet. Yeah. He's, he's an extraordinary person. And, and the, the interesting yeah. thing is, you know, uh, you know, people of a certain age who are younger don't know anything about him. Um, but if you, for example, um, if you read the Watchmen comic book or if you watch the Watchmen movie, um, there's a scene with Lee Iacocca in it. You know, in, in a yeah, book. I think he gets off in that. He huh? does, but my point is that he he was part of the national consciousness. Like this was somebody that was put on a comic book or a movie, assuming that people would know who this guy is. Like if you put some random like the the head of Chrysler right now into a movie, do you think anyone would recognize this guy <laughs> or care that he gets no. off? No, but Lee Iacocca people cared. You know, I think the the most recent executive to be in a comic is Carlos Ghosn of Renault Nissan. Uh, well, formerly. Look at him now. Uh, in a jail cell or at home. That's home right. No, no but he did him. rescue Nissan from, you know, a similar situation. That's, and... uh, yeah. I, yeah, that, that's that's a different story for a different day. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, again, Lee Iacocca in a comic in the 80s, Carlos Ghosn in the 90s. Yeah. yeah. Mary, and then according to Tommy, Mary Berry in the 2000s. No, no, she's a hero. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, I think that's it for today, Sanch. Uh, good episode. Thank you again yeah. for uh, thank you again for joining us and listening to uh, episode 17 of the Land Jam podcast. Um, so wherever you're listening, please hit the subscribe button. We'd love to have you along with this weird journey of ours. And uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. All right, take care. Thank you.